We're going to turn to our Bibles now and read of a passage which speaks of those very things, of uh, Jesus' name being raised up and exalted. So please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read the first 11 verses of that. I'm going to invite Yolanda up and she's going to read for us. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Yolanda. Um, Keep your Bibles open, please. Uh, It's just a good habit to get into. Um, This is not a a time where you get a download from me, uh, from my immense wisdom or lack thereof. Uh, This is a time where we learn from God's Word together. Uh, And it is a lot easier to do that if you've got it in front of you. So keep it open. Uh, We're going to work through these verses because they're important uh, and they're good. And they're helpful for us today. So keep it in front uh, and we're going to work through what we've just read together. Now the other day um, the other day, I was reading an article about dangerous animals. I don't know. You know how sometimes you just wake up and you're like, I'm reading this article. I don't know how I got here. But anyway, I was reading this article about the most deadly animals in Africa. Uh, you know, people bang on about Australia being dangerous. I don't know if you've ever met Africa. Africa seems to me as a very dangerous place. Um, Anyway, it listed, it listed the most deadly animals in Africa, and I, I wonder what you assumed would be at the top of that list. Uh, I'm guessing that at the top of your list is the lion. You know, it looks dangerous, doesn't it? <laughs> like if, if you're at Melbourne Zoo and there's any enclosure you don't want to find yourself in by accident, that's probably it, isn't it? You, you don't want to be in there. But no, not the most deadly animal in Africa. What about the Nile crocodile? Like it, it could, you know, you put up a salty against a Nile crocodile, it's a pretty even fight, they, they look pretty dangerous. But once again, no, not the most deadly. Uh, what about the elephant? You know, that's a bit left field. You kind of think of elephants as being nice, but have you ever seen those big stabby things on the front of them? Like they're pretty dangerous <laughs> and they're big. But they're also not the most dangerous. Uh, went through a whole list of snakes, Lots of bad snakes in Africa, not the most dangerous. Lots of bad spiders, not the most dangerous. No, it turns out the most dangerous animal in Africa with an approximate 
3,000 kills per year, that is people, which is astonishing, is this guy. <laughs> that guy, yeah, that, uh, that great big grey blimp is apparently the most dangerous animal in Africa. So there you go, if you're ever at Melbourne Zoo, make sure you stay out of the hippo enclosure. <laughs> Probably just stay out of them all, but you know, definitely, definitely that one. You wouldn't, but you wouldn't pick it, would, it, would you? Uh, you wouldn't assume that that is a dangerous animal. But that's kind of the point, isn't it? Sometimes it's not the obvious dangerous things that are the worst. Sometimes it's the subtle or the unsuspecting dangerous things. And in our passage today, Paul tells us that the same principle is true in the church as well. We've been reading all about this uh, church in Philippi, this, this great-sounding church that Paul clearly loves so much, but today we're addressing a threat to this church. And it turns out it's not the things that we might have guessed. It's not the obviously hostile government of the time. It's not the uh, very liberal and very anti-Christian laws of the society that they lived in. It's not even the persecution that they're experiencing. What is the key threat to this church? It's selfishness. This vibrant and, and active and beautiful church is under great threat from themselves. You might say, how could that be such a big deal? <laughs> you know, how could that be the key issue here? Well, as we go through, Paul's going to unpack why. Why this is such a problem. But he's also going to show us what the cure is to this selfishness. Now, as Katie unpacked under, in the kids' talk, this, this passage falls under the command that we, we opened up last week. It all, it all falls under that heading of chapter 1, verse 27. You, you might remember it if you were here. Remember, you are gospel citizens, so live as worthy gospel citizens. Your life is about standing in the gospel and striving for the gospel. That is the worthy gospel citizen life. And that's kind of the headline of this whole section all the way through to uh, chapter 2, verse 18. And as we get into this passage, Paul starts by reminding us why that citizenship is so good. <laughs> Why it's so precious and beautiful. And you, you see what you've got there in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Let me read it again. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Now, I'll just pause there. When you see that if, it's not an if as in maybe. <laughs> as, you know, maybe you have these things. That's not what he's saying at all. It's an if, as in, you have these, so here's what. You are united in Christ. His death is for you, and you are in him for your life. You have received his love. The, the, the love of God has been lavished on you as his beloved children. You, each of you, share in this spirit together, his presence in and with and amongst you, uh, driving your life together. You have this tenderness and compassion from being part of God's family together, united in Jesus. You have heaps. Your citizenship is precious. It is wonderful. What a gift the gospel is to you. So live it out. 
and don't falter from it. This is what he says in verse 2. You have those things, so then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. See, here's, here's Paul's concern. I mean, you don't, you don't have to command people who are united to be united, do you? There, there's an issue. There's something driving his concern here. He says there's something lacking. There's a fly in the ointment in this church. Their togetherness is under threat. He unpacks it in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. So here's the call. You are to live out your gospel citizenship in a worthy manner by standing in and striving for the gospel. And here's the danger to that. Selfishness. It's selfishness. He describes it as selfish ambition. That means um, looking out for number one or looking to advance yourself or your own causes, looking after your own skin. He uh, describes it as vain conceit, um, which is literally the word empty glories. (laughs) Things that that don't really matter, (laughs) but matter to you. Your goals, your preferences, yourself. What he's saying is the danger... The risk to this Philippian church, it's, it's gospel partnership, is each of them looking to their own interests. Each of them chasing their own goals or their own preferences or their own ways of, of being a Christian or doing church or prioritizing. And in that, harming the gospel. Doing damage to the work, the mission that they are trying to do together as a church. That's what's at stake here. So what's the solution? Well, we might expect, we might say, uh, expect Paul to say, do stuff together. Okay, you're fragmenting apart, so do stuff together. Okay, do, do more stuff together. Have a church lunch. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe establish a new mission project for, you know, to get behind together. Have a church working bee. Um, have an AGM. <laughs> maybe, maybe that will work. Do stuff and you'll be together. But no, that's not what he says, is it? Um, that would be kind of like looking at marathon runners and concluding that they're united. I mean, after all, you see, you picture a marathon race, they all run in a group. <laughs> they're all heading in the same direction. They're all doing the same thing, don't, aren't they? They're, they're kind of sticking together. You could conclude that they're united, <laughs> wouldn't you? Or not? Um, I don't know if you saw the Olympics, um, what one of the marathon runners did when he got to the water table. Did anyone else see this? Running along the marathon like 20 odd k's in, you know, a stupid distance already. Water table on the side, because it's 30 degrees and crazy humid. And all the bottles are lined up in a neat row so you can just grab one and without breaking stride and keep going. This guy is at the front of the pack. He lines himself up for a bottle, the first one and misses and he misses and he holds his hand and he holds his hand and knocks every single bottle off (laughs) except the last one which he actually grabs amazingly what a coincidence and that means he drinks he has a nice little rinse off and everyone else in the pack misses out 
some of whom who don't finish the race in the end. Uh, afterwards, he was asked, and it was apparently an accident. You know, condensation and the ball, they're slippery, and he was... Yeah, sure. <laughs> Selfish, isn't it? <laughs> um, <coughs> tactics, they might call it. <laughs> But selfish tactics, they're not there together, they're, in, they're each in it for themselves. And that's, that's kind of Paul's point. Doing the same things, being in the same places, is not necessarily a cure for selfishness. That isn't in itself unity. But there is a cure for selfishness, and Paul has already mentioned it to us, and it's right there at the top in verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Like-mindedness is the cure for selfishness. Now, that's not, <laughs> that's not, you all have to think the same on everything. <laughs> that's stupid. I don't look, I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> that's impossible. That's not what he's talking about. What he is saying is share the same mindset. Share the same mindset, which is be Christ minded, be gospel minded. He says it later in the chapter in verse 5, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's not just all think about Jesus, that's all see the world through Jesus. Form your thinking around Jesus. Have him at the centre of your thinking, the centre of your decision making, your priorities, your, your planning. Put Jesus there, have him as your mindset. That's your defence against selfishness. He's already said the gospel is at the heart of your life together. It is the source of who you are. It is the source of all the blessings that you've received. So put it at the heart of your thinking as well. Put it at the heart of your mind. That's the cure. That is the solution here. Pursue Christ-centered selfishness. Uh, and this is what it looks like, he says, in, in the second half of verse 3. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of others. Uh, humility is not walking around thinking, wow, everyone else in this church is so much better than I am. <laughs> that's, that's not what he's saying. That's, that's actually kind of self-centered, isn't it? That actually becomes quite divisive. Oh, everything, everyone's so much better than me. Humility is simply not putting yourself down, but in Jesus, valuing others, lifting others up. And we need to read verse 4 carefully as well. The translation is a little... Uh, a little bit iffy. It's, it's difficult. Um, it's not, um, don't think of yourself ever, only ever think of other people. That's actually not what it says. It's rather than just thinking about yourself, also think about others. <laughs> you are allowed to think about yourself. It's kind of hard to live not without doing that. But don't make it exclusive. Consider the interests and concerns and needs and position of other people. That, that's what this Christ-minded life looks like. It's, it's not selfish, it's selfless. It's concerned about other people, it's looking to other people, it's seeking them. It's not no self, it is more than simply self. It is together thinking on Jesus and therefore being united in Jesus. Loving as Jesus loves humble as Jesus is humble, concerned for others as Jesus is concerned for others. That's this mind. 
this Christ-mindedness undercuts the threat that selfishness is to the gospel and to our gospel partnership. Our standing, our striving for the gospel then is enabled and strengthened when our minds are set on Jesus and when we're selfless. And the flip side of that is if we're selfish, thinking about our own needs, thinking about us above all, not only do we miss out in ourselves, but our gospel witness is hamstrung. Our ability to stand and to strive for the gospel is undercut by our selfishness. And that is plain and simple a tragedy. Isn't it? I mean, just think about it. Could it be that our gospel ineffectiveness is a result, not because the world is really hard, but because we're selfish? Are people not hearing about and being saved in Jesus because we're too caught up in ourselves? That'd be a tragedy, wouldn't it? (laughs) That would be a tragedy of staggering proportions. That our selfishness could be a roadblock to someone else hearing about Jesus. The gospel is too good for that. And eternity is too important, isn't it? So fix your mind on Jesus. Have him at the centre of your thinking together. Now that doesn't mean we have to see eye to eye on absolutely everything. That's not going to happen. We, we are allowed to disagree. <laughs> We're allowed to disagree about uh, a whole range of things. We're allowed to be ourselves. We're allowed to have different opinions. That's okay. But what it means is, below all of that, behind all of that, we are about Jesus driven by him, seeking him, looking to him, fixed on him. And therefore willing to say, my way, my thoughts, my ideas, and just that mine. (laughs) There are other ways. There are other ideas. There are other thoughts. And as long as the gospel's getting served, that's all that matters. I'm okay. So is that us? Are you, am I, gospel first, Christ-minded? So it's not just be less selfish. <laughs> that's good. That, that's part of this. But if, if nothing steps into that hole, it's just going to come rushing back, isn't it? Instead, what this is, is think more on Jesus. Dwell more on him. Share his mind with each other. And your selfishness will get crowded out as you fix yourself on him. Now that is big, isn't it? It's it's confronting to, to not only look in the face of our own selfishness and the costs of it, but to consider this selflessness and, and what that could look like for us. It's, it's hard, it's confronting. That is, until we gain some perspective, the right perspective, 
Uh, we're called to be Christ-minded. And Paul says, this is Christ's mind. Yes, you are, I am calling you to a radical selflessness. <laughs> but look, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at verse 6. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says, have the same mindset as Jesus. This is Jesus' mindset. <laughs> this is what it looks like. This is his own mind. We are being given a, a, an astonishing snapshot, not into just what Jesus did, but into who Jesus is, into how his mind works. This is his approach to life. Um, we've, got to, we've got to work through this because it, it's so important. Um, Paul says he is in the very nature of God. That is, he's not pretend God. <laughs> um, he's not little God as, as the son. He's not part God or some sort of hybrid. He is fully God in, in nature and in essence. And so as fully God, he has existed for all time in perfection as ultimate power, ultimate knowledge, in perfect joy and love. And we, we, we could go on. He had no lack. He had no need. He existed in utter perfection. <laughs> and rather than choosing to stay there, to know, you know, enjoy it, to use it to his, his advantage, as was his right to do, what did he do? Well, instead of grasping at it, instead of clinging to that we're told he made himself nothing literally he he emptied himself that is not he didn't like get rid of some stuff <laughs> uh, he didn't you know take off his divine part what we're told is he poured himself out that is he emptied himself of himself of his own interests his own self-desires he made himself nothing and as that took on the form of a man <laughs> It's, a, it's the same word there. It's not he became a kind of man or became a bit like a man, but just as you and I, he became fully and really human. As much man as he was God, 100% of both. The maths doesn't add up. It doesn't matter. It was true. 100% God, 100% man. And he chose to take that on. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal, isn't it? This, this is not... You know, we don't even have the words for this. It's, it's not, you know, the boss coming down to the factory floor. Uh, it's not the foreman getting on the tools. It, it, if anything, it's, it's the author writing himself into the story and submitting himself to the limitations of the character. But even that doesn't go far enough. God, the almighty, the eternal, the everlasting, the perfect, he, he steps in, he breaks into our world and he comes here as a man. And not as, a, not as a king, not as a, a, a billionaire, as a, as a hero. He steps in as a man and makes himself a servant. And as a man, he humbles himself. Even, even to death. Divinity submitting to death and even death on a cross. We have to understand... We have to understand that properly. It's just, the word cross is so sanitized in, 
in our world. We are so over-familiar with it. Uh, you, you have to understand this, the, the sheer revulsion there was to the, just to the idea of a cross at this time. You know, the best thing would, probably the only analogy is, you know, imagine getting a swastika tattoo or wearing it on your neck. That, that, that's the kind of revulsion we are talking about here. You know, it was a very um, uh, ranked society. You know, you had citizens and peasants and beggars and criminals and you had ranking, rankings of deaths. You know, beheading was preferable. Uh, hanging, stoning. I know that's a kind of weird thing to rank, but anyway. But, 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 but way below, you know, uh, uh, not even on the same page, unmentionable even, is the cross. Um, this is how a Roman uh, writer described it. Cicero, this is what he said. To bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To slay him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is... What? There, there is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. That is how they saw it. What is Christ's mind? It is not to grasp what was and could have been his. It is not to look to his own interests. But it is as God to humble him, to empty himself and become a man. And it is as a man to humble himself, even to death, death on a cross. That is Jesus' mind, to step down from heaven take on lowly humanity and go to a cross. That is his mind. That is, that is who he is, how he views himself. It's so different from us, isn't it? I mean, we, we are exploit every situation. Use it to the most, you know. Use every discount code. Um, find every loophole. Use all the perks of your job. Uh, when you stay in a hotel, take everything that's not pinned down because you paid for it. When you eat at a buffet, fill up your plate because you paid for it and you can. Free samples, don't mind if I do. If there's a chance, we grab it, we exploit it, we, 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 we take it and, and not Jesus because it was all his. Literally, it was all his. And he gave it up. He chose to give it up. He wasn't pushed. Uh, he wasn't forced he chose to give it up and to go to a cross. And his ultimate selflessness, his ultimate humiliation has achieved for you hope and life. See, if he had held what he should have held, if he had done what was his right to do, then you and I are dead. It's that simple. We're doomed forever, lost in our sin forever. But he gave it up. And because he was willing to give all that up, you and I get life. You and I get forgiveness. You and I get hope. I hope you see this. There, there, are no, there are no verses in the Bible that should fill us with more joy than this passage as we consider what Jesus was willing to do, what he, what he gladly did. He chose to do this. And you and I, we benefit. 
This, this is our God. This is who he is. Not uncaring, not distant, not, not swanning around doing God's stuff, but radically and unbelievably selfless. I mean, this is not just something that he did, you know, it's not just an action. This is the set of his mind, we're told. This is intrinsically who he is. Uh, not grabbing and grasping and exploiting and seizing, but to the core of his being, self-giving for the sake of others. That is who our God is. That is the mind of Jesus. Have the same mind. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. But then what? I mean, it's a question we can't help but ask, isn't it? But, but then what? You know, we're all self-giving, we're all selfless, it's this kind of race to the bottom. What then? Well, let me tell you, look at verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's vindication. It's not God saying to Jesus, uh, great work, here's your reward. This, this is what you get. <laughs> you've earned it. Uh, it's not his victory even. You know, you've won this. This is your prize. This is vindication. This is God saying to Jesus, yes. Yes, you have, you have done godness, <laughs> for lack of a better word. You have shown what it is to be me. This is what it means. You are vindicated for what you've done and so exalted, that is, hyper-raised <laughs> to the highest point with the highest name. That's not the name Jesus. I mean, he already had the name Jesus. The name is, is God's own name. It's the Lord. And that is bestowed on Jesus as a sign that what he has done is of God, is God. So that when everyone sees Jesus, they will know and confess, this is not just Jesus the man, this is Jesus who is fully God. Seen in how he humbled himself and now seen in his exaltation. And when everyone sees that, which everyone will, you'll bow the knee. Everyone will bow the knee. Those who have accepted him in this life with, with awe and joy and wonder. Those who have rejected with grim acceptance. But either way, all will see Jesus is Lord. And for you too, because Christ, as Paul has been saying throughout this, Christ is our pattern. Like him, as we follow him, we give ourselves up. We, we follow in this path of, path of selflessness, of, of, of sacrifice and self-giving. And like him, for those who are his, glory awaits. Uh, not, a, not a reward as if we earn this, but like him, vindication. God's well done. You've done right. And a share in his glory which he graciously gives. Selflessness, Christ-mindedness, it, it will cost. But nothing you pay 
will not be returned a thousand times over when he comes in his glory. Press on, live out your gospel citizenship for the sake of the gospel. Stand and strive, see it deepen and grow. Share this mind of Jesus in that self-giving, self-sacrificing, selfless as he is. Fix your eyes on him, not on what could be yours now, but on what, on, on what is yours in him. Let's pray. Let me lead you as we pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us your mindset. As we look at our lives, as we look at ourselves, we pray for your mind. We pray that you would help us to put to death the selfishness that is just so pervasive within us. Father, help us to get rid of it. Help us to root it out. And by the power of your spirit, we, we pray that that would be possible. We pray that you would form within us a mind that is equally fixed on Jesus, that together we would be striving for his sake, in humility, in service, in self-giving, as you did for us. Jesus, we've seen your mind and we praise you. We praise you for your humility, for your selflessness. And we stand in awe of you and are so thankful that your selflessness is our salvation. We pray for the sake of your gospel and for the sake of your kingdom that you would help your mind to be ours, that we would be able to live the same. 